Hello everyone! Welcome back to episode 21 of Haunted 518. Today I'm drinking Kona Island Spiked Seltzer. And first of all, the pack that I got has four flavors. This one specifically is Passion Fruit Orange Guava. And the other four flavors in the pack, which will be making appearances in future episodes, probably the next three in a row um are absolutely delicious also this is probably my favorite in the pack so I want to I started I figured I'd kick it off by having one of those um the cans are really well done too I love the art on them which is awesome too but they are five percent by alcohol and um just absolutely delicious they go great at any occasion, any time. Um, and I don't find them terribly often. And so when I saw the the mixed pack the other day, I, I grabbed it, the 12 pack. Um, so Kona Island Spiked Seltzer, or Kona Spiked Island Seltzer, that's what the label says. Um, definitely delicious. Definitely recommend it. So today I thought because of a few things going on, I thought I would do more of a grab bag episode. I've been through my research in the last um, 20 weeks, <laughs> um, been finding articles that don't necessarily pertain to a specific geographical location that would fit in to put them in within an episode, or maybe they're not necessarily in the 518, but they're in New York State. Um, and then one of them is actually outside of New York State, but I just thought it was a a fascinating story. I, I didn't read the entire thing because I wanted to be able to be surprised while I was reading it on here, but I just thought it was worth adding into this episode. So I figured I'm back into uh, my, my semester started for grad school, so life is hectic this week. So I thought instead of uh, delving into a new town or area, I would just wrangle all these up and um tell you them and honestly as I was preparing for the episode I started to get pretty excited because the first thing I want to talk about is actually something I'm really fascinated with and it's in New York State and I think it's important considering this is a haunted podcast to tell the story because I don't think a lot of people realize that it's um, a thing but I was in real estate and property management for god eight nine years and this was always something that came up or just was on my mind so I figured we'd uh kick off the fact that New York State has literally has a haunted house rule um the um the law, I'm sorry, haunted house law. The law basically states that you have to, as either an owner or seller or agent, um, disclose if your house has any suspicions of being haunted or is reportedly haunted in any way, shape, or form, um, which I believe also includes if there has been a death in the house. I, that might be a separate law, actually. I should look that up if it's not in this article, but I, I know this story, but I haven't uh, thought about it in a few years actually so I am excited to kind of uh, tell the story today and get right back into it. So the um, let's see the house is located in uh, I think down in Nyack in the village of Nyack um, so we'll get right into it. One might think that a published appellate court opinion declaring a house legally haunted would come to us from some backward time when people refused to believe the testimony of a woman and would publicly smear them for being victimized by a high-profile man. <laughs> As it happens, this 
This opinion is from 1991, <laughs> so it's pretty recent. Jeffrey M. Stambo Stambovsky was a New York City dweller who decided to take the plunge and move slightly upstate to the village of Nyack. Stambovsky laid down a $32,500 down payment and agreed to a price of, six, of $650,000 for the house. Unfortunately for Stambowski, no one told him that the house was filled with poltergeists, which is why you should really hire a former Trump administration judicial nominee and full-time ghost hunter Brett Talley before you make a major property purpose. <laughs> that is hilarious. I did not know someone on Trump's administration was a full-time ghost hunter, too. That cracks me up. <laughs> While the sellers never told Stambovsky about it, the sellers had previously recounted numerous run-ins with supernatural forces, including Sir George and Lady Margaret, and a revolutionary Navy lieutenant, and something that would shake the daughter's bed every morning unless she asked out loud to sleep in. At least the spirits understood a hangover. <laughs> Stambovsky tried to back out of the deal, having not been informed about the supposed roommates. And while one could knock Stambovsky for buying into this hokum, the fact that the house was a feature on a walking tour and periodically attracted paranormal wing nuts was a more grounded reason to want out of the deal. The trial court the trial court kicked Stambovsky to the curb based on New York's then ironclad adherence to the caveat emptor. But the appellate court reversed. Recognizing that the defendants had played up the house's haunted past in the media, they were stopped from denying it, rendering the house legally haunted in the eyes of the court. Wow. While the court found no legal remedy for this non-disclosure, it offered Stambovsky a very groan-worthy out. While I, he said, while I agree with the Supreme, while I agree with the Supreme Court that the real estate broker, as agent for the seller, is under no duty to disclose to a potential buyer the phantasmal reputation of the premises, and that in his perspective suit of a legal remedy for fraudulent misrepresentation against the seller, plaint plaintiff hasn't a ghost of a chance. <laughs> I am nevertheless moved by the spirit of equity to allow the buyer to seek rescission of the contract of sale and recovery of, of his down payment. That is the most eloquent thing I've ever heard regarding a ghost in a court of law. <laughs> As Judge Robin notes, caveat emptor is predicated upon the notion that a diligent buyer can and should investigate and identify problems within the property before the purchase. But is a seance really a reasonable pre-purchase expense? <laughs> in the interest of avoiding such untenable consequences, the notion that a haunting is a condition which can and should be ascertained upon reasonable inspection of the premises is, hob is a hobgoblin which should be exercised from the body of legal precedent and laid quietly to rest. That must have been the, um, the, what is it called? The defense's argument? No, the, um, <laughs> the one going against Dembowski's argument. And with that, Stambowski got out of buying New York's only legally recognized haunted house. <laughs> Don't worry about the buyers. They also turned out fine, with people coming out of the woodwork to buy the house just to have their own personal Overlook Hotel on the Hudson River. Until 2015, Ingrid Michelson actually lived in the house, because apparently being infested with poltergeists is still a step up when you're from Staten Island. She's a famous songwriter, I believe, um, or, or musician. 
She sold the house for $1.77 million, and the pictures from that sale are still available online. As long as the ghosts, <laughs> as long as the ghosts are chill, this is a pretty nice pad. Yeah, the pictures are pretty beautiful. Um, if you don't, so if you don't know it, it is um, one Lavetta Place in Nyack, New York, and it's like this big baby blue Victorian wraparound porch right on the river. There's a few pictures of it. I'll post on our uh, social media, and um... <coughs> excuse me, sorry. And um, it's definitely worth taking a look at. Um, that's fascinating, though, that the legal jargon that they used in the courts was that <laughs> serious, considering you're talking about literally ghosts. <laughs> the next the next thing I wanted to talk about, and I had never heard about this place um, at all, and I didn't, like I said, I like to be be just a surprise sometimes as like my guests or like as I'm reading something so I I don't know the whole story of it and I'm excited to talk about it now talk about it now there's a terrifying haunted cave in New York and it's not for the faint of heart with natural attractions like Dover Stone Church, natural stone bridge and caves, and secret caverns, New York has proven to be equipped with both amazing above ground and underground cave that caves that are worth exploring but now now but now you might be more interested in checking locations that are a bit spookier, taking you underground to where you'll be keeping your head on a swivel to make sure you don't run, run into any Pennywise-like characters. This this one spine-tingling cave in New York is only for the truly brave. Excuse me. Out in Niagara County, Lockport Caves and underground boat rides is an especially spooky place, especially during the month of October. It looks like a the the home in the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit's homes in the Shire. That's crazy. If you're familiar with this place of New York, this piece of New York's history, the caves, if you're unfamiliar with this piece of New York's history, the caves you're able to explore were created back in the late 1800s. The purpose of creating the cave was to have a local hydraulic raceway that would supply water to places like surrounding mills and other businesses. Now this historic underground gem is a unique place to take a tour in Western New York. During October, they feature fall light and Halloween lantern tours. Throughout the year, you can find basic uh, tours and boat rides that are offered, which are 70-minute guided tours that give you an amazing look at the past and allows you to learn about the history. And then um, in October, they do the more spooky theme. With very dimly lit lights in an eerie underground setting, taking one of Lockport Cave's Halloween tours will have you thinking that you're going to run into your least favorite sewer clown and it. <laughs> the tours are only offered to visitors who are above the age of eight and will equip anyone with lanterns to help them make their way through the underground world. It has been visited, Lockport Caves has been visited by some names that you may be familiar with, like sci-fi's very own ghost hunters, who were able to come across paranormal activity. In 2012, ghost hunters unveiled their episode on the sci-fi channel from when they made their trip over to Lockport Caves. As soon as the ghost hunters made their way underground, the camera equipment began to malfunction and a immediately had them on their toes. Also to be noted, this was the ghost hunters first underwater ghost hunt they had ever been on. Oh yeah, I remember that episode. Um, while the ghost hunters were here in the underground in the caves, they managed to hear strange noises, voices, and even see an unusual mist roll before their cameras. Which I'm like, 
you're underground, there's probably going to be mists with all mists with all the humidity, right? <laughs> the moisture. Making their way through the half-mile-long tunnel, the ghost hunters claimed to have heard laughter and strange voices in the water near where a man had supposedly drowned. They also had issues with their camera equipment and saw the unexplained mist that people have been often reported seeing here. With a deadly history and chilling setting, the Lockport Caves is one terrifying location that you'll have to be quite brave to visit. Most of the ghosts that people claim to encounter in these underground caves are said to be those of workers who died during the creation of the caves. Handfuls handfuls of lives were lost, with many of these spirits reportedly still lingering underground in the tunnels today. So that's kind of crazy. It's uh, 5 Gooding Street in Lockport, New York, which actually, I don't know exactly where Lockport is. It said it was by Niagara, I think. Lockport County. Let's see. So the next thing, oh yep, it's right by, um, it's literally the Ni Niagara Falls. That's right. Um, so the next thing I wanted to talk about was, um, I just, there's a list that I wanted to go over of 11 creepy stops to make on a haunted tour of upstate New York. That is so good. When October comes around in upstate New York, our thoughts turn to cider donuts, apple pies, hayrides, Halloween, and spooky places. And our region has plenty of spooky places for you to explore. So here are 11 upstate New York places that are spooky, haunted, or creepy. They are all great places to visit to get your chill on if you dare. So the first one, and I've talked about it prior with my wonderful guests, Billy and Hannah, in our special Rochester episode, um, is Rolling Hills Asylum, which is in East, East Bethany. Originally called the Genesee County Poor Farm, or the Old County Home, the nearly 200-year-old asylum in East Bethany housed orphans, physically disabled people, the elderly, criminals, and convicts. The original institution was a working farm of 200 acres where, as per their website, drunkards, paupers, lunatics, indigent children, and others toiled away in the fields and tended the livestock in the gardens. Because the asylum housed its own workers, it was run efficiently for about a dollar per inmate, which is what they were referred to as. <laughs> Group tours of the site are available and guests can see every room, including the kitchen and children's bedrooms. Because the home, because the asylum was home to numerous families, some of the original strollers and children's toys remain in the building today. It closed on July 20th in 1965 and ghost tours are available during Halloween. Um, and you can also uh, investigate it, it looks like, and you have to be 18, apparently, to do that. <laughs> um, but I told a bunch of stories about it in the Rochester episode, so if that's something you are interested in hearing more about very specific paranormal encounters, head over to my Rochester episode and check that out. The second one is one I think I mentioned in the very first, or I think it was in the second episode when we moved northward into the Adirondacks, when I was just kind of telling you know listing off some haunted places that are known in the area and it's the glenmore hotel the glenmore hotel which is in big on big moose lake um, in hamilton county it's one of the most infamous off the beaten path destinations in the adirondacks why you say <laughs> because it was here that the then crime of the century took place on july 11th 1906 a young upstate new york couple grace brown 
and Chester Gillette went for a canoe ride on the lake here, but only Gillette returned. Accused of killing his lover, Gillette was arrested and brought to trial in Herkimer County. With all the passions, drama, and sensationalism that could be served up, Oh, to be a fly on a wall in that courtroom. The nation breath breathlessly followed the trial in the newspapers from open to close. It was a gripping event. Gillette claimed Brown committed suicide. The jury was not convinced. Chester Gillette was found guilty of murder, sentenced to death, and was executed in the electric chair on March 30th, 1908. I did not remember that detail that he was, uh, he got the death penalty. The murder case has been the subject of several fiction and nonfiction accounts, including several full-blown Hollywood movies and a famous novel, an, an American tragedy by Theodore Dreiser. The Time magazine called Dreiser's 1925 book one of the top 100 American novels of the 20th century. Wow, I didn't know that. I've never heard of that. I'm gonna have to get that. The lakeside locale draws many history lovers and curiosity seekers every year. There's a historical marker located where the couple shoved off for their fateful canoe ride. It is an eerie, sad, and totally fascinating place. Wow. The next one is the Rapids Theater, which is going back to Niagara Falls. The theater is one of Niagara Falls' venerable entertainment venues, first opened in 1921 as the Bellevue Theater. It was a showcase for early films, concerts, and tour touring vaudeville acts, including a very young Three Stooges. Known as one of New York's most haunted places, it gained recognition after an appearance on Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters in 2011. While shooting the show, the producers said they heard a woman's voice in the air ducts and the sound of a bottle being kicked and, a, and saw a shadowy figure walking across the stage near the bar. Small private ghost hunts are available to the public, led by a paranormal expert. Your group will go behind the scenes seeking spirits in the theater's old guest green room, in the front and rear tunnels, the main floor, the large performing stage, and the VIP balcony. Although expensive, these ghost hunts are quite lengthy and are among the best in upstate. That's that's good to know. Um, I had not heard of that one. I've been to Niagara's, but I don't know that place. I don't. It didn't stick out to me. This next one I've never heard of either. It's called Split Elm Grave in Woodstock Cemetery down in Ulster County. Catherine Van Debegart was a pretty 18-year-old married to a much older man. Catherine was said to have a pleasant and cheery personality and was liked by all who knew her. Her husband, much older, was a cantankerous man with a wild temper and a penchant for alcohol. <laughs> cantankerous. On a dark and stormy night, August 2nd, 1821, oh my god, John staggered home. I could not imagine being married to a cantankerous man with a wild temper and a penchant for alcohol in 1821. Like, first of all, you're like, I have, <laughs> first of all, you're like, I shower once a month and that's a luxury, pretty much, or, and then you have to deal with that too. No, no, thank you. John staggered home from a local pub, inebriated and in a foul mood. He entered the house to find Catherine gone. He assumed she was out having a rendezvous with a secret lover. <laughs> the old man pulled a large elm branch off a tree in the yard and waiting for and waited for her to come home. Oh my God! When young Catherine, who was eight months eight months pregnant with their first child, arrived home from an innocent visit with a neighbor, John flew into a rage and beat her severely with the branch. Oh my God! As Catherine 
Catherine lay sprawled on the floor, gasping for breath and moaning in pain. John realized what he had done and picked her up and carried her to the bedroom upstairs. A doctor was called and he told John his bride would not live until morning. John said his wife had been injured in a fall. Sounds familiar, the staircase. Later, (laughs) that's a Netflix documentary. Later, left alone with his remorse, he leaned over to kiss his young wife. She opened her eyes and whispered to him that she forgave him. But her last request was that she be buried with the elm tree branch so that when he visited her in the cemetery, he would always remember what he had done to her. Oh my god. (laughs) By morning, Catherine and the baby were both dead. John buried them and, and the elm tree branch in the old rural cemetery in Woodstock. This is an awful story. (laughs) Day after day, month after month, the tortured old man trudged to the cemetery to visit his wife. One day he noticed a tree sprig crawling up the back of her gravestone. Despite ripping it out, it returned, stronger and taller with each visit. Maddened by the thought Catherine was reaching out to him from the grave, (laughs) John took his old habits of drinking again and began making the visits more infrequently. On his last visit to the grave, a year later, he he noticed that the elm branch had actually severed the gravestone in two. It is said this caused the old man to go mad. Oh my god. True or not true? No one is sure. But what is sure is that if you is sure that if you visit the Woodstock Rural Cemetery today, you will see Catherine's grave in the center, her stone marker clearly still split in half. Wow, her tombstone, though old and faint, reads, In, me- in memory of Catherine Van Debegart, wife of John Van Debegart, and her infant, died August 2nd, 1821, age 18 years, 2 months, and 13 days. Wow. Woodstock Cemetery is located on Rock City Road, which is walking distance from the... Uh, downtown, which is nice. Um, this next one we've talked about, I've heard of. It's a Spook Hill Road in Middlesex. And Yates, that's in Yates County. There are several places in upstate New York like this famous Gravity Hill or mystery spot. Spook Hill is one of the better known. Like here, these places mystify the visitor by appearing to have parked a car nat- in neutral slowly roll slowly roll back up a hill defying logic and reason they are all fun and almost all are inconsistent. Many say that Spook Hill offers one of the most reliable and dramatic examples of this phenomenon. I've seen videos of it, the one that's on here, and it's it's kind of fascinating. Sometimes when you find two or more cars waiting to position themselves at Newell Road and the intersection of Spike Road to experience the thrill of this mystery. <clears throat> The next one I've never heard of, and I'm very excited it's on the list, it's called Spanky's Diner, and that's in Messina, um, St. Lawrence County. A haunted diner, Spanky's is located near a cemetery that is reported to be haunted. Apparently, some of those spirits get a little hungry at times because the owners, workers, and the patrons of the restaurant swear that when they are alone in the establishment, well, they're not alone. The presence of strangers can be felt. Windows close by themselves, knobs and buttons on appliances magically turn on and off, and noises, mostly human, can be heard. Oh my god, I hate that phrase. Mostly human. (laughs) That is terrifying. Can be heard when nobody is around. Did one customer have her shoes tied together under the table while she was dining? That's what they say. Chills are a side dish at this popular northern New York eatery. Okay, next time I'm up in Shadigay... Kevin, shout out. Next time we're in Shattagay, I want to go to this diner if it's open. Um, the next one we've talked about um, 
in I think several episodes is the Canfield Casino, close close to where I'm at in Saratoga, located in a gorgeous city park in the center of town, Congress Park, absolutely gorgeous. Go if you ever have the chance. The Canfield Casino has been the site of lavish galas, extravagant parties, and storied weddings. This exquisite venue has been the crowning jewel of Saratoga society since it first opened in the late 1800s as the Saratoga Club. In fact, its restaurant created and named the popular menu item, the Club Sandwich. Oh shit, I didn't realize that. I bet you I've read that before and forgot. The rumors of hauntings and paranormal activity at the casino have been explored for generations. Most ghost hunters believe the spirits encountered here are those who gambled and lost during the casino's heyday over a century ago. It's not an operating casino today. In 2010, the popular Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters show came to see what the fuss was all about. The hunters found a strong paranormal activity on the third floor. An intermittent electromagnetic field was said to be the result of ghost activity. (coughs) A museum here... Excuse me. Now tells of the glory days of this famous Saratoga landmark, as well as its ghostly connections. Visitors can also book a ghost tour at the museum. (coughs) This next one we've talked about... (coughs) I actually was looking into Cobalt Skill a little more in depth recently. It's because it's fairly, it's so rural. I didn't find too much, but this of course came up. It's the Bull's Head Inn. One wonders what really got Mr. Mrs. Stacy so upset. Whatever it was, it was her ghost roams and rambles around this historic tavern, disrupting table service, slamming doors, and squeaking out eerie sounds. The fact that there really was a Mrs. John Stacy, who over a century ago was a member of the Women's Christian Temperance Union, might have something to do with it. At least she is not using an axe to chop up the bar like the Union's most famous figure, figure Carrie Nation. <laughs> she got mad or something and chopped up the bar. The Bull's Head Inn is, in Co- is Cobleskill's oldest building with the tavern established in 1802. Oh, that's fascinating. This next one is a personal favorite of mine. I've never been and it's been on my like to-do list for a long time. Excuse me, stretching. <laughs> the next one is the Lilydale Assembly. And that's in Lilydale um, in Chattaqua, Chattaqua. Chattaqua County. Um, this is one of upstate New York's most fascinating communities. I don't know who's heard of Lilydale that's listening, but um, it's fairly infamous um, or family fa- fairly famous. Lilydale is a basically Lilydale is basically a cust- cluster of dozens of small cottages and homes from which fortunes are told, palms are read, tarot cards are examined, and futures are seen. More than fifty registered mediums are in the community during the peak summer months. Lilydale has been called both the most spiritual place in New York as well as the most haunted place in New York, with a permanent population of under. 300. Each summer, tens of thousands come here to commiserate with the spirits. The assembly was formed in 1879 as a commune for spiritualists and free thinkers. A large hotel, the Maplewood, was built in the 1880s and and is the center of the community. It is said to be the most haunted place at Lilydale, with stories being told of many spirit guests from over the last 150 years still enjoying their stay, th- stay there. 
The next one we've talked about is um, the New York State Capitol. Our state's Capitol building is beautiful and graceful, elegant and imposing, and well, just a bit creepy. Inside the dark confines of the sandstone, granite, and marble structure are Warren's cubby holes, secret rooms, and one very grand and very expensive staircase, the Million Dollar Staircase. It's perhaps the building's most famous feature. There are dozens of faces carved into the walls of the interior. Some are the vis visages of the most famous men from history. Some are images of the stone cutter cutters themselves, and some just look positively evil. At night, it is said you can hear the lone watchman jingling his keys and trying the locks on all the doors. The watchman was Samuel Abbott, a real-life employee of the building who died in a fire that almost leveled it on March 29, 1911. He was the lone victim of a terrible conflagration. Some say he is still loyally making the rounds, and spirit only um and ghost stories can be arranged um one side story i think i've told it before but i i went on the albany ghost tour the walking tour and first of all fantastic it was like an hour and a half of just jam-packed information and history um but the story that they told about the one of the architects was that like halfway through the project the state or whoever was funding it said um, they no longer are going to receive the full compensation, compensation, however much that was. And, um, and they said if they were to just stop and walk away, then they won't receive any money. So the architects were put in this like awkward position. And, um, and so one of them, or the evil faces, the, the ones they say stonecutters, some are images of the stonecutters themselves and some just look positively evil. And the story we heard was that one of the architects, the very last face they carved, because there's a lot of faces in the stairwell, the very last one was supposed to be like a demon and it was supposed to curse the building. So um, that was like their revenge that they got. So that's why some of them look, I think, angry. That was the story that I heard. Um, the next one is called, and I don't know this one, it's called the Bundy House, um, and that's in Binghamton. This grand mansion was built for Harlow and Ju Julia Bundy in 1892. Bundy was one of Binghamton's wealthiest and most important citizens. His Bundy Time Recording Company was the forerunner of IBM. After the Bundy family moved on, the house saw a myriad of other businesses, configurations, and architectural changes take place. It finally went empty and sat deteriorating for years. Around 2,000 great efforts were made to save this residence and turn it into a museum for the legendary original owner. Many unexplained happenings have been documented at this house over the years, and it is a regular destination for paranormal adventurers. Ghost tours can be arranged. That's fascinating. So moving on with um, most haunted places in New York, but now moving specifically to um, the Western New York area, I actually had a bunch of places that WGRZY2, um, the station, went and investigated. So I'm going to play a few things um, for you to listen to about um, several other locations that, that um, I didn't know about. So the first one is the Van Horn Mansion. For nearly two centuries, this stately home has stood as a landmark in Newfane. Its builder and first resident was a pioneer and entrepreneur. 
James Van Horn made a fortune from his orchard factory, sawmill, and other businesses. His mansion is a living legacy, but also a home to the departed. I've seen white shadows um, walking the premises and in the house, uh, black shadows um, walking through the house. <coughs> it just happens. It doesn't take dark. It doesn't take light. It doesn't take a certain time of day. Things just happen. From sounds of a family, kids playing, even parties, to the far more frightening, like the appearances of Melinda Van Horn, who was only 21 when she expired. I actually have seen her twice in the attic, and both times it was in the exact same corner. Um, she looked exactly the same. Um, the strange thing is, I could tell you what color she had on in her dress. It was beautiful. Um, the way her hair was, what color her hair was, and the expression on her face, but I couldn't see any hands or feet. Perhaps peculiar for a phantasm, but oddities exist outside this haunt's home as well. In the Van Horn family burial plot, Melinda was the only one unaccounted for until some mortal sleuths found her remains alone in the backyard, her final resting place now here in the Rose Garden on the mansion's south side. A stone marker encased in steel and weighted with a 500-pound anchor cover the spot. Here, too, the unexplained is not unnoticed. Periodically, um, when we go out there, um, the, the, the stone has been shifted um, to the north, and it always goes to the north when it shifts, and the men have to go out there and kind of mallet it back into place. Well, that's um, creepy. But then it shifts again. Many passers-by notice the strange happenings, specters walking the property appearing in windows this blue curtain above the carriage house placed with care to protect the living the incessant appearance of an apparition here deemed too distracting to travelers on the road and the man responsible for this edifice of afterlife the family patriarch james van horn senior is also set to make his presence known as well every once in a while he just likes to pop up behind groups of women and, and kind of growl at them. A not-so-subtle reminder about <laughs> whose home this is in the mortal world and hereafter for eternity. Wow. So the next one is the Margin Manor um, in Niagara County. M-A-R-J-I-M. Visitors to this historic Niagara County home come for the wine and spirits. It's now known as the winery at Margim Manor, but this picturesque white windowed home has a much darker history. It was built in the 1800s by Schubel and Sophia Merritt, who had an orchard and grew peaches, but life was not sweet. The couple's son, Louis, was the first unfortunate soul was coming downstairs to speak with his father after the two spent the afternoon together hunting. It was a Thursday at three o'clock when Lewis burst through these French doors and wrote the first chapter in this ghoulish story. Schubel turned and accidentally shot and killed his son. Devastated, he ordered the French doors to be locked and never opened again. Schubel himself met with his own demise, also in this home, 
and also on a Thursday. At 3 o'clock, his daughter Phoebe Sophia took possession of the manor and while decorating for a ballroom dance, a fatal surprise, the locked French doors burst open. It was a Thursday at 3 o'clock. Phoebe Sophia looked up, gave a gasp, and fell down dead. And even today, occasionally, on a Thursday at 3 o'clock, these doors fly open on their own, as if Lewis mm. himself burst through from the other side. Oh, God. I'll post pictures of these. They're beautiful. The next one is the Riviera Theater in... Um, actually, I'm not sure exactly where it is. Um, it's the showplace of the Tanawandas. The Riviera Theater, the showplace of the Tonawandas. For parts of 10 decades, it's been a home to theater, concerts, and the mighty Wurlitzer, and looked after for nearly as long by a young spirit. Mary is our ghost. She uh, watches over the place. Paranormal investigators on several occasions have found evidence of her existence. Those who work here, well, they have too. The theater hasn't been cleaned up in a couple of days. Mary kind of lets us know that she's not happy about that. Young Mary, protecting the theater, perhaps because she wishes it had once protected her. Back when the Riviera was also young, before stage riggings were operated with the safe counterweights we see today, there was an accident backstage. According to the story, a falling sandbag struck and killed a young girl. Mary, now, the odd noise or mysterious sounds coming from the balcony, even things moved or missing, are attributed to her. But that only happens when she needs to remind the current occupants that this is her theater. She likes how well I take care of the space, and that's why she leaves me alone. And hopefully, <laughs> for them, that exceptional care continues. The next one is the Red Coach Inn, um, also located in Niagara Falls. The Red Coach Inn, built in 1923, is the closest hotel in Niagara Falls, New York, to the brink of the falls. It's also an inn that many say holds a dark past, one that continues to haunt it today. From the ghost of a little girl that some believe perished in a fire in the building that stood on this spot before the inn, to another spirit that has been seen many times over the years. I guess say they see the bride, woman in the long white dress. They see her in this room, all around the property, and even in the restaurant. She is an entity that they say appears to be much more aggressive and angry. It's been said that a guest here felt hands around their neck during the middle of the night. One of those guests who saw her actually told the story on the television show Celebrity Ghost Stories two years ago. Bernie Capel, who played Doc on The Love Boat. And turns toward Earl and me. You could see the face was not a whole face. It was a face that had been mutilated. She is said to be a woman who was murdered on her wedding night in 1927. There was a husband here in this suite 
this is the honeymoon suite, and he has said to have bludgeoned his bride to death. Oh my god. So, and I'm gonna point out that that light just flickered when you said bludgeons his bride oh. to death. She also appears to be a spirit that wants to be remembered and seen. There was one of the guests staying here, had a small child. That small child kept screaming and crying all night, telling her mom that she saw a scary princess. So, so in, ooh, in this beautiful inn, princess. just yards away from one of the most beautiful places in, in the world, you had quite a bit of uh, heartache and tragedy. Yeah. There have been many other strange things occur, including the woman in white, one morning, well before opening, when the restaurant was still locked, was seen sitting in this booth by a member of the wait staff. On another occasion, a new bartender went to the basement to check on the fountain drink canisters. You hear her, somebody scream, fire! She said somebody screamed it at the top of their lungs. And, you know, that's what you do in that situation. She was like, okay, I gotta get out of here. Somebody screamed fire. So she runs up the stairs, goes into the kitchen, and says, did anybody hear anything? And everybody's just going out their normal business. And the fact that a building burned to the ground on this spot just makes that story a bit creepier. It seems that everyone here has a story of their own. Late at night when all the servers were doing their cash outs and there's a big cast iron bell hanging off the wall and there was no one standing near it, it just rang. The spirits of the past still ringing through this stately old inn and providing a dark twist to the honeymoon capital. Creepy, that's awful about on our wedding night, oh my god. Um, the next one is the Hobgoblin of Fort Niagara. In the dark corners of this 289-year-old fort lie centuries of secrets, tales of heroics, and otherworldly experiences. One such tale takes us back to 1804 and the first sighting of the Hobgoblin of Niagara. Imagine a regular goblin, and then think of one that's just a little, little hobbier. Local historian and folklore <laughs> expert Mason Whitfield says the Hobgoblin has many interpretations. For example, this is how Marvel Comics pictures the beast, while Witchwood Brewery has a more playful creature on its label. Something somewhere in the middle is what is said to have made its presence known here on the shores of Lake Ontario. They play pranks, they're small, they're elusive. So um, the Hobgoblin would be something that would be a little more of a prankster than a, uh, uh, an outright threat. On the night in question, the Hobgoblin was not nearly as elusive in the thinking of a young company piper named John Carroll. The, the Fort Piper um, paid tribute too freely to Bacchus, meaning the wine god, and he got a little lippy with the Fort's commander. And so as punishment for one of his drunken bouts here at Fort Niagara, he's actually thrown in the black hole, which is the pit of solitary confinement, the black hole was exactly that, dug into the floor of this building known as the South Redoubt. In the wee hours, the, the piper's piteous wailing brought the guards, and uh, he, he claimed that he had seen this demon. According to the legend, he not only saw the demon, or hobgoblin, he was instructed by him. And they torment him, and they ask him to write a song. This demon had... Um, had, had inspired in him this terrific hymn that he really wanted to write. So he begged for paper and pencil and a candle, and he wrote down this song. 
This is a recording of that song named Carol's Thoughts on Eternity. Carol was ultimately released from the hole unscathed but shaken. This was not the only sighting of a being described as a hobgoblin. A soldier was on sentry duty here in the graveyard around 1812. When he saw a being, he issued a halt who goes there challenge to him before it comes into view. During a lightning strike, the soldier is so frightened, he fires his rifle at it and runs right into a barricade and knocks himself out cold. This draws others out of their quarters, and when he comes to... At which point he tells them what I saw was a hobgoblin. As you might imagine, our sergeant is pretty unimpressed with the idea of chasing a hobgoblin around. But there was a connection between these two sightings. He asks for Charlie's canteen. As Charlie hands him his canteen, the sergeant takes off the stopper on the canteen and takes a sniff. He's like, oh, goodness. And he realizes that Charlie's canteen is about a quarter of the way full of corn liquor. So a lot of the stories about spirits here may have been inspired by spirits. By spirits themselves. <laughs> You're absolutely right. The tales of those characters of the past are still what brings this historic site to life. So it's, it's simply one of the figments of uh, Fort Niagara folklore. And a spooky sampling of the unknown stories of Western New York. Wow. The next one is Niagara on the Lake. History preserved. It is what makes Niagara on the Lake one of the region's most beautiful towns. But it's also that history that taps into a dark side. Only war ever fought on Canadian soil. This was the capital of Canada during that time. And the amount of dark and, and bad energy that that left behind, it left an impression on the town. An impression that has also given it the title of Canada's most haunted town. The ones that you see and the ones you know about would include the Angel Inn. Uh, it was Captain Colin Swayze, the famous British soldier who haunts that place. He was murdered in the basement, as well the Prince of Wales Hotel and Molly Maguire in, in room 207, who still remains, as well the courthouse, which is probably the most noticeable, impressive historic building in the entire town. Those ghost stories he mentioned here in the Angel Inn, the spot where Captain Swayze was to meet his lover and warn her of the pending American raid. He was bayoneted as he hid in a barrel in the wine cellar. Believers say his spirit still walks these halls. The Prince of Wales Hotel, the ghost of another War of 1812 victim is said to remain. Molly McGuire was mistakenly killed by an American soldier. Her ghost is said to still be there, in room 207, awaiting her husband's return. And up the street to the courthouse, where strange occurrences have been reported, a cleaning woman said one night she heard loud knocking and pounding coming from one of the old cells only to find it empty. Those are the landmarks, the ones we know about, but it's amazing, like I mentioned, when you open the floodgates, we even get the uh, more unknown locations coming through. Daniel Camerlato conducts ghost walks through the town, and there are plenty of ghost stories, like here on Queen Street at the Royal George Theater. It's the oldest theater in Niagara-on-the-Lake, and uh, it's quite interesting. The ghosts in there are a little bit more new than what you would expect from a haunted building. Uh, but the energy is, is palpable. Daniel says there are two ghosts. One is named Jeffrey. He's a man who passed away just a few decades ago in his early 40s from a terminal illness. He was a lighting technician, and he continues to show his light to visitors even today. Now he doesn't want to be behind the scenes like he was in life. 
Now he wants to be front and center. Sometimes he's up on the balcony, other times on the stage. The lights are coming down the house and the curtain is coming up, and there's one split second before the theater goes dark that a man is standing in the middle of the stage. He just appears out of nowhere, and he's staring at the crowd. The other one, her name is Nancy. She wasn't uh, behind the scene. She was right out front and center. She was an actress. Nancy was known for her acting ability, but also as being a popular mentor and comfort for young actors trying to get over their jitters. But she would sneak up behind them, and when the cue came, just in case they hesitated, she would bump them with her hip. So, so hard was the Nancy bump, it thrusted the actor onto the stage, and they started their lines, and they felt good after that. And then around the corner is the Trisha Romance Gallery, where looks can certainly be deceiving. The house, uh, how can I explain? I mean, it looks like Barbie's dream house. A dream house with a dark side. A female ghost who has been seen roaming the halls. She tends to reach out to the guests on the tour. Manifesting mainly in troubles with their technology. What I've seen mostly, though, batteries are drained from full to nothing. I've also seen where they failed in one image repeated 13 times on the camera. I've also seen where one image appears, yet everything else on the camera was wiped. And one gentleman with a manual camera took a picture of the house. But when the image appeared, the camera had zoomed itself in to show just this window. <laughs> That's a picture of the window. <laughs> the next is the um, Hellhounds in Boston. The, hen the Hellhounds of Boston. In the dark of night, it is said, this small centuries-old graveyard is visited by beings of many realms, from the spirit of a young child to the ghost of a woman said to be murdered and dismembered by a local doctor. In any case, Gutelberg Cemetery in the town of Wales is believed to be among the most haunted graveyards in the country. And protecting it, some believe, are demonic canines known as hellhounds. People who have been reporting these horse-sized hounds with Shit. glowing eyes sometimes, with sheeny, vinyl-like coats. Sometimes they say the glowing eyes are a color like a green or a, a red. And green is the color of magic in uh, Celtic societies of Europe. And green plus red is, is dead meat. Local historian Mason <laughs> Woodfield says that many cultures around the world have legends about such beasts. Some believe it to be the gatekeeper to the land of the dead. Sometimes they're believed to be a messenger of the devil himself. Sometimes these black dogs are actually working for heaven because they are rounding up the souls of the sinners and driving them to hell. These black dog apparitions are very often associated with graveyards, and some of the time they're actually thought to be the protectors of the graveyard. Such as this plot of land off of Gutelberg Road, a cemetery which was active from 1811 to 1927. It's the final resting place for many of the original settlers of the town. There have been sightings of said black dogs here in Gutelberg. There have been reports of sightings. And that, he says, is an important distinction. From one perspective, sightings could be the result of the power of suggestion, figments of the imagination, especially seeing as the stories of hauntings didn't really spike until the 1990s. But others say they could be the result of other kinds of earthly consumed spirits or influences. People have been partying up here, mostly high schoolers and all that. They've been partying up here for at least 50 years. Gutelberg has been a proverbial haunt that long. 
But for those who believe in the afterworld, such partying could be something that stirs the spirits. Winfield points out that the burial grounds of all kinds are places to be respected. Places for eternal rest, not places to be disturbed by partying or worse. He says there have been cases of vandalism in Gutelberg, even holes being dug. If you are of the mind that believes in spirits and ghosts, it would make sense that Gutelberg would be visited by a variety of entities there to warn or protect the sacred ground. I get the feeling that there may not be that many of them really up here. Sure. But once something enters the, the legend cycle, right. but nonetheless, there are people who hear the, if they, even if they don't see them, they hear this unearthly baying somewhere off in the distance. Howls that continue to echo through the unknown stories of western New York. Oh, I've never heard of that or descriptions of the hellhounds like that. The next is the Statler Building. When she was built in 1921, the Statler Hotel was the flagship of Ellsworth Statler's chain. 950,000 square feet of luxury. The first hotel in the nation to have a bathroom in every room. And it has played host to many notable people, and even some notorious. We know that three presidents stayed here. I'm just doing some investigations recently. We've seen pictures of President Kennedy. We know Al Capone stayed here. Um, we know Tony Bennett sang in the stage. Um, so there's lots of history. 18 floors of history. Some say 18 floors of history that lives on in the afterlife. Over the years, we've all had experiences. Echoes and entities that continue to roam these halls. You hear a noise, maybe you see a shadow. Connor Hawkins has managed the building for about five years. He says there have been reports of strange happenings from top to bottom. Some believe that there are ghosts of two small boys who reportedly drowned in the hotel's first few years. Down here, in the basement, in the Turkish bath, the ruins of which remain. Connor says that he has had requests from people and paranormal groups to go through the building for years. And so this fall, they finally started doing it, conducting ghost tours of this massive structure. The response has been very, very good. Have you had any experiences on the tour? Absolutely. Oh, they've heard noises. They've felt temperature fluctuations and seen shadows. No one's seen any figures. No one's come up and said hello to anybody. But we've had some uh, EVPs. EVPs, or electronic voice phenomenon. The most hair-raising of which occurred here in the rendezvous room. The voice of a man that came through. Here's the actual recording. Did you used to come here on Friday or Saturday nights? whisper that could not be heard with the ear but was recorded with their equipment responding to their question and thirsting to be heard I mean we have somebody saying I need a drink and that's down in the bar at the rendezvous room Cameron Du Bois and his Greater Western New York Paranormal Society provide the technology and the expertise on the tours uh, we're using K2 meters that would measure any energy anomalies that are in the building. Uh, we're using EVP recorders, uh, spirit box, and basically stuff that we are able to explain for uh, somebody who is, you know, a paranormal enthusiast. As far as the experience-wise, uh, it doesn't matter really where you are in the building. It seems to be pretty active throughout. A building that's been a Buffalo landmark for nearly a century. 
one that sits atop the foundation of Millard Fillmore's home. Generations of history, some proud, some tragic, but all adding to the intrigue and ghost stories of this storied old building. The next one is the Sea Serpents. Since the dawn of time, stories of monsters of the abyss have been passed down, and Western New York has had its share of tales. You almost can't find a body of, of water big enough to spin around in that, that there isn't some kind of a big snake legend about. Mason Whitfield has done quite a bit of research on the subject, sightings in the Erie Canal, the rivers, the ponds, and of course the lakes. Well, of course, the two big lakes, Erie and Ontario, both have their legends. Lake Erie's monster is nicknamed Bessie and has been reported as recently as the 90s. Other such stories are much older, such as the Serpent of Ontario that the Iroquois legend says would wage battle with the Thunder God. Majority culture people have claimed that they've seen really big serpents in Lake Ontario. There's also the story of a monster at the base of Niagara Falls that would feed on people who ventured too close and could only be killed by a young man armed with a bow and arrow with a white arrowhead. It is said that a large vertebrae embedded with a white arrowhead was discovered during the construction of the original Shulkoff power plant in Niagara Falls. The sightings that interest me the most are the really obscure ones. The ones in a body of water that the, the thing could hardly take a bath in it. Such as the serpent that is said to live in this small pond about the size of a football field in the town of Alabama. It's gone by many names. Spirit Pond, Spirit Lake, Diver's Pond. It's a body of water held sacred by the Senecas. In fact, it was part of the Tonawanda Reservation until 1838. 82-year-old Marvin Miser knows the land well, and he knows this pond. My first experience being down here was in the mid-40s in ice skating. He's lived in the area his whole life, and he's the current owner of the property adjacent to and a portion of Spirit Lake itself which has also been called Bottomless Pond because of its murky, soft floor. I have tried to put sticks and stuff down there and just keep going down, down, down. The perfect habitat for a sea monster, some might say. Not Marvin. Marvin's never seen one, but he also says he's not taking any chances. Well, I never have. No, I really don't think so. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm not taking any stones or anything that's supposed to be secret. Native legends date back centuries. The first settler to be introduced to it was the Reverend Samuel Kirkland in 1788. He was a minister to the Oneidas. He's passing through western New York in the company of the, the Seneca, and the Seneca took him to this pond and said, there's a giant snake in there, and it needs a, it breathes fire, and it needs a ceremony of tobacco every year on the right day and if we don't do that ceremony it comes out and kills people they performed a tobacco ceremony and while kirkland never admitted to believing in the serpent called says to go by the senecas he didn't take any chances either he, he spent a long time meditating at this little pond and he left without touching finger or toe into the water the stories of sightings are countless from the great lakes to silver lake the erie canal to the base of the falls and beyond whether you believe in them or not, the one thing that is 100% true is that they have a home. Treading water through the unknown stories of Western New York. Wow. I had never heard of that one before. The next one is um, Niag Niagara Street. To 
Today, this stretch of Niagara Street in what was once the village of Blackrock is dotted with industry, factories, and smaller businesses. But it has a history as a strategic outpost going back centuries, a native trading spot, a launch for boats crossing the river, and the home to some of the area's earliest settlers. It was formerly the home of the Colonel William A. Byrd mansion which was a frontier Italian place. It's basically a Greek Revival-style building. Colonel William Byrd was born in Connecticut in 1797, but during the War of 1812, he served with his uncle, General Peter Porter. He became a colonel and assisted General Porter with the Boundary Commission that determined the boundary between the U.S. and Canada in 1817. He settled here the following year. He built Western New York's first flour mill, laid out the street plan for Black Rock, and ultimately became the president of Erie County Savings Bank. Sometime in the 1820s, Colonel Byrd, uh, they were apparently very proud of their garden. Colonel Byrd was doing some gardening, and there was this mound in their backyard that they decided to level out. What they uncovered was a grisly discovery, one that remains a mystery even today, 190 years later. A huge kettle filled with human skulls. This kettle was surrounded by up to 15 male skeletons buried in a ring. Their heads were facing it, and there was a, an axe head underneath each of the buried skeletons. Despite the fact that this area had experienced heavy fighting during the War of 1812, and Native American skirmishes dating back hundreds of years, they didn't know what to think. It was interpreted at the time that this might be evidence of an ambush. An ambush, perhaps, of French settlers. Or others thought it may have had something to do with an incident in 1763. Tensions were rising between the local Native Americans and the British across the river. And one day, a large group of British troops were in boats floating down the Niagara on the American side at Black Rock. When they came under fire, many of them were killed. And another interpretation of this crazy burial is that... Um, it may have been what was done with the bodies that killed during that exchange. Mason Woodfield, however, feels that this was more than just a final resting area, perhaps a monument to native warriors created within an ancient burial mound. The skulls could have been those of their vanquished. It seems to me like uh, this earthwork was ceremonial, and the bodies were buried so specifically that you get the feeling that the elders had created a, a powerful space here. And anyone who wanted to use the energy of the dead knew exactly where to find it. That is um, located in Buffalo. I don't think it mentioned that. So even though it's Niagara Street, it's not in Niagara Falls. It is in Buffalo. The next one is the Stone Giants. Never. One of the most sought after and oft spotted mythical creatures through the ages and around the world goes by many names. Yeti, Sasquatch, Bigfoot. The height of the creature you see right next to that number four up there. Terry Belke and To the Outdoors traced his path to the Adirondacks, where he was reportedly spotted by several people, including police officers, in August of 1976. Was described as being between seven and eight feet tall having red glowing eyes. Western New York Ooh. is quite strong in, in reported sightings of these giant, shaggy, very often fast-running critters. 
Historian and storyteller Mason Winfield says that every area that has woods has Bigfoot sightings, and we are no different. Some believe, others don't. And Winfield says psychiatrists like Carl Jung might even try to explain it away as a psychological manifestation. Jung would say that this probably represents the shadow, you know, something in our own unconsciousness. Native American culture, however, offers its own explanation. In the early stages of life on the planet, there was a segment of time when there were non-humans, but they were two-legged, they were standing upright, they, and they actually, they, they called uh, these beings stone giants. Seneca storyteller Michael Bastine says they were created with a strong link to nature. And these stone giants uh, were given certain powers that worked within nature. Those powers included making thunder, wind, even moving things like trees and mountains. Legend says that at some point, though, one of them began using his powers for his own entertainment. And the creator told him, he says, because you've been abusing these powers that you've been given, I'm going to remove all the stone giants from, from this land. He pleaded with the creator to not punish all for the actions of one. And he said, and I'll make this promise. If you allow us to stay and, and reside on this land, we will only use our powers to protect the land and keep sacred places sacred. Sacred places, perhaps, like this burial mound within the woods at Art Park, not far from a sighting that Winfield says occurred in the mid-70s. Somebody found bones and a very unusual skull along the, uh, it, it was kind of along the uh, riverside in, in Lewiston. And uh, there was a bit of a pelt with it, and these bones, the skull, the pelt, were recovered. Unfortunately, those hunters could never convince anyone that it was more than just animal remains. I talked to hunters who had seen these things. I talked to a hunter, a guy that had hunted bears, he had skinned bears, and he said, I looked at that skull, I held that skull, it was no bear. Was it the remains of a stone giant? Just one of the questions that have been raised by such sightings. Others question why no one has ever been able to capture one. And again, native culture offers a possible explanation. Are they physical beings that can actually be found? And I'm thinking they're beings that can actually transmute. They can actually go from non-physical to physical. Sending a message and preserving a mystery within the unknown stories of Western New York. Wow. That is, that's crazy. I grew up, growing up around here and camping as much as I do in the Adirondacks, that thought never crosses my mind. And then I've heard, or I've said in several um, of these episodes now that Bigfoot and stuff was a, is, is common around here. And that's so crazy. This last one, and I've never heard of it, and it sounds terrifying, it's called Hi-Hat. Deep within the woods and within the tradition of the Iroquois people are stories of a dark being. Many of the stories about him, he just appears and runs off or somehow bilocates. One that Mason Winfield says has been reported during times of trouble. It does look like it's something that answers to human unrest. A tall, beastly-looking figure wearing a stovepipe hat. The name given to him by the Senecas? Hi-Hat. He's got a very sinister reputation. He's got a mouthful of really sharp teeth, and he's rumored to be a bit of a cannibal. 
And while that thought may be horrific, Winfield says that Hi-Hat may have been a witch in life and is now a feared spirit. The times he is said to have appeared have been times of unrest. One of the last was when native lands were taken and villages wiped out for the creation of the Kinzua Reservoir in northern Pennsylvania. It was said that during the construction of the Kinzua Dam in 1960 through 1965, even the white construction workers were seeing hi-hat. And they even got to nicknaming him something like Abe Lincoln. Oh, really? Yeah, he became such a proverb among them that they'd say, anybody seen old Abe Lincoln? This is white sage. This is sage that uh, comes from out west. As an Algonquin healer, storyteller, and spiritual teacher, Michael Bastine has a keen sense and respect for the realm beyond our consciousness. And the term we use for this is smudging. And what we want is we will actually use a feather and we fan that smoke. The feather of an eagle and the smoke combine, he believes, to communicate and to calm the beings on the other side. And I think it can actually uh, create an opening between both worlds. Michael uses this ceremony as an offering to show respect for the spirit world each time he discusses it. He says many cultures have similar beings. The Mothman is one of the better known. And he describes a dark traveler who has been spotted in Tuscarora territory. It's one that walks the roads or walks the paths at night. That traveler is said to be in search of those out looking for trouble. And when they encounter this and they tell the stories of it, there's an aroma, there's a smell that they can't describe. It would be like uh, walking into an area where there's a decaying body. Those entities or those elements are there for a reason. It's actually to wake you up to say, maybe I need to readjust and make a few changes in my life because this thing is ominous. Which is why Michael uses the smoke as a conduit and a gift. Oh my God. But I believe we can use omens in a good way. Bastine says they can be used as a moral guide, a sign that you've strayed from the proper path, a path where these beings reside and one that cuts its way across the unknown stories of Western New York. That is terrifying, and I've also never heard of that, um, I've never heard of that outlook on malevolent or dark things like that, so that's really interesting. I actually think I might look up that gentleman, uh, that Native American healer, to see if he would even want to be a guest, or just to see what else he's done out there because that's fascinating um so that was a fantastic little list um uh i wanted to add on to that with just one other thing that i found um that was in new york state that just seemed interesting to talk about which was the pillars estate um in albion new york which is like just west of rochester Cora Goyette, who is a caretaker of the house, says there has been says there have been many incidents of ghosts living in the Pillars estate, according to a video created by Zillow. <laughs> we've had footsteps, the piano, we've had footsteps and the piano tends to play, she said. It's a very real spirit. According to Zillow, the home's owner, Tony McMurtry, believes the wife of the original homeowner is who haunts the property. 
Cheryl Krugworth, the home's listing agent, told USA Today there have been many sightings of female ghosts on the property. It is my understanding that, yes, they have explained they have experienced a few situations. There was a lady on the stairs once, she said. The home, which was built in the late 1800s and is on the market was on the market when this article was published for $730,000 is used as an event space and the owner had a ballroom added to the property along with a replica of the staircase from the Titanic according to her. The staircase is modeled after the Titanic so they have an annual Titanic event each year and Christmas party. I want to attend that. While a ghost may sound like a scary addition to a home, Goyette told Zillow the ghost appears to be appears to be friendly. I think it's a warm spirit and there's nothing evil about it. So I just wanted to mention that the Pillars estate. Um, I'll definitely put a photo of that up online too. Um, and then the next thing I wanted to just mention, because I don't think a lot of people... I am into all of this and I had no idea that this... Uh, film was shot in Saratoga at such a notorious location and I actually had never seen the film before either so that's on my to-do list now it's a film called The Skeptic um, it's also known as The Haunting of Brian Beckett and it's a 2009 American suspense thriller film and film um it stars Tim Daly Zoe Saldana and Tom Arnold um so I'm even more surprised that it's that recent and with that many infamous people that I actually didn't know know of it. Um, it depicts the story of an attorney who inherits a seemingly haunted house, but he obviously he doesn't believe in the paranormal. Um, so the shooting began in 2005 with eight weeks spent filming in various locations around the Saratoga Springs, New York area, where... Um, including the city courthouse, the Old Bryan Inn, the Union Gables Bed and Bre Breakfast, as well as Union College, and, and that which is a nearby Schenectady, and then the Batchelor Mansion Inn was used for the three-story Victorian mansion where much of the film takes place. The production paid for exclusive use of the mansion for five weeks during its off-season. Filming was completed in 2006, and then um, in 2009 it was released. Um, so that is definitely something that I think is worth seeing. And I actually wanted to play the trailer right now. <laughs> it's definitely something I think you should go ahead and Google, but I wanted to play the trailer because I haven't seen it. Hey, Steve, got a phone call from this house. Everything all right? Jesus. My aunt died. I just found her. Look at the bright side. We got the house. This house is the last of the old family money. Well, you know, something's still doing that up, you know? You got your uh, classic mystery here. Yeah, it's right up there with crop circles. You don't believe in anything. You don't believe in the afterlife? Life would be easier if I were gullible. Be careful in that house. There's something not quite right there. Are you trying to tell me you think the house is haunted? You don't believe in haunted houses, do you? No, I do not. that I heard spoke. Hey! said something like an old trunk. You heard whispering sounds. Your brain strove to put speech. Who's in here? Who's in my house? 
I saw someone this time. Oh, the bottom of the stairs. Scary. There's something here. Something supernatural is happening to you. Maybe is that why you're messed up? Because of what you saw that day. You're not going to play psycho babble with my head. Sit up in bed like a child. You know what you're looking at? You're looking at her. Stop this! Michael? Baby? Someone's in the closet. What? Goosebumps. Oh my god, oh my god. Oh, I thought something was just about to jump out. Okay, so I definitely think that is worth uh, at least watching the trailer and if you know if you love the Saratoga Springs air area absolutely um, excuse me take a look at into that and lastly I wanted this is the one that I mentioned in the beginning that was outside of New York State but um, it's a fascinating little story that I just came across in my research um, that I thought would be interesting to just wrap up the episode with um it's the article is called the only time a murderer was convicted thanks to his victim's ghost unraveling the curious case of case of the Greenbrier ghost um the question was one of the things keeping mary jane heaster of Greenbrier county west virginia from a restful sleep in the winter of 1897 following oh no i'm sorry it starts, how could a young, healthy woman drop dead of an everlasting faint? This question was one of the things keeping Mary Jane Heaster of Greenbrier County, West Virginia, from a restful sleep in the winter of 1897, following the late January death of her newlywed daughter, Zona. A healthy person just doesn't drop dead of a heart attack or an everlasting faint. <laughs> That's actually exactly what happens. As the examining doctor had written on his report, so Mary Jane slept fitfully that winter. Then the visits started. Zona's ghost, also known as the Greenbrier ghost, crept right up to her mother's bedside and begged to climb in, Mary Jane reported. Zona was cold and she had something to tell her mother. Ew. Ew. I just got a vision of a cold body in my bed with me. It wasn't a faint, ugh, like a ghost. It wasn't a faint that took her. It was murder. What unfolded next is the only documented case of a murdered con of a murderer convicted by the testimony of a ghost. The facts the facts. Zona was 23 in October 1896 when she ran an errand in town and met 37-year-old blacksmith Edward Trout Shoe. Trout is his nickname. <laughs> the pair married weeks later despite Mary Jane's objections and settled into a house near the blacksmith's shop. 3 months later on January 23rd, Zona was dead, found lifeless at the foot of the stairs by Andy Jones, a neighbor boy hired to do the chores. Andy ran to the blacksmith shop while his mother called Dr. George Knapp. Shu was there to meet Knapp, who arrived to find Zona had been taken to her bedroom and was already dressed for burial in a high neck dress. Ew. 
not the dress, just the fact that he carried her upstairs. <laughs> I, I like high neck dresses. <laughs> Meanwhile, there were rumors, including local folks saying that Zona had given birth to an Ill illegitimate child and that Trout had been married twice before. His marriage produced a child, Goethe, what a name, G-I-R-T-A, Goethe, and ended in divorce in 1889. His second wife, Lucy, died under mysterious circumstances. Okay, this guy. Some said she was pregnant and fell through the ice. Oh, God. Others claimed it was a brick to the head or poison that did her in. Mary Jane never liked Trout, and now her dead daughter, she claimed, was visiting her as a ghost and telling her that she'd been right all along about Trout and that he had, in fact, killed her daughter. Zona's nighttime visits continued. Four nights in a row she came, Mary Jane claimed, filling her mother in on the discord that marked her brief marriage. The day she died, Zona's ghost allegedly said her husband was angry with her because she had not fixed meat with the supper. He then struck her and broke her neck. Oh my god. Mary Jane woke up with a mission and headed straight to the office of the prosecutor, John Alfred Preston, who agreed to make inquiries. He spoke with Dr. Knapp, who admitted to a not-so-thorough examination and revealed there were that there were bruises on Zona's neck. At the same time, townspeople told Preston Preston about Shu's odd behavior at the wake. He wouldn't let anyone close, close to the coffin, and he or someone else had placed a pillow on one side of her head. Oh my god. <laughs> Considering all of this, Preston had enough to order an, ex an, exhum an exhumation of Zona's body. There was com a complete autopsy this, this time, and sure enough, Zona's neck had been broken, dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. Her windpipe was crushed. She had been strangled. She was arrested, and the subsequent trial lasted eight days. On the sixth day, he took the stand in his own defense, and it did not end well. He rambled, s said everyone was out to get him. The jury deliberated for a little over an hour and turned to a guilty verdict. She was sentenced to life behind bars and sent to the state prison in Moundsville after surviving a failed lynching. Today, a historical marker sits along Route 60 and reminds all who traverse the winding mountain roads that the Greenbrier ghost helped convict her own killer. That is fascinating. Also, to be the person that receives that message and have to have it be like a full body apparition that is actually cold and gets in bed with you <laughs> to tell you that i can't <laughs> i don't want that but i'm so happy that that happened and she got um she got brought to the guy got brought to justice <laughs> so i hope you guys thoroughly enjoyed all this like fascinating spooky just like grab bag of information from pretty much all New York State except for the Greenbrier Ghost. Um, so as always, I just wanted to mention um, the sources I got my information from, AboveTheLaw.com, NewYorkUpstate.com, WGRZ.com, USAToday.com, Wikipedia, of course, um, Yahoo, just, um, trailer, uh, YouTube for the trailer and then all that's interesting.com. Um, so on that note, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure in my, I'm sure there will be more grab bag episodes because in my, in my future research, I will, um, take a break from spotlighting a certain area once I think I have enough to put a nice episode together. So I'm sure there'll be more in my future episodes. So on that note, I hope you have a great week and as always, Happy haunting.